Certainly in lockdown, I've been getting increasing bouts of insomnia, really interrupted sleep. I know that I dream through those periods because I have the sensation that I'm dreaming, but I haven't remembered um, very many of those dreams. If you wake up gently, you kind of remember more. It always feels like when you're abruptly woken up, something really nice was about to happen. <laughs> you know, you know. I think there were several changes about dreams occurring during lockdown. They're far more vivid. There's a lot more going on. What I have noticed since this last lockdown, there are a lot of characters that I'm interacting with throughout the course of any dream. A lot of people. Recently, they've just been about being with people, hanging out together all sorts of situations. Crowds of people in a gig, people in a theatre. My brain is kind of reaching around from years back, from people I haven't seen in a long time. Old colleagues, old, old school friends are, are making appearances. I dreamt about my old friend Peter Hurst. I was meeting up with him, but at a miners' strike demo. So masses of people. My world has got so much smaller and my dreamscape seems to have got so much larger. I think I'm just missing being around people. A lot of the dreams are also about that failure to touch crowds, failure to connect. Thinking about being in spaces with lots of people really does feel like a dream rather than kind of reflection of some reality. I live in a small village now. The occasions that I've been in crowded places since the pandemic started, I've felt very anxious, but not in my dreams. My dreams are obviously missing that kind of human connection. I spent the first few months of the pandemic, actually five months back in my hometown of Longford in the middle of Ireland. It's not a particularly big town. There wasn't a huge amount of people. So a lot of my dreams did involve people and being around people and a kind of nervousness because I think I felt quite away from the world and I wasn't really sure what the rest of the world was doing. There's a type of dream characterised by feelings that I think this situation has turned the volume up on a wee bit. Like a sense of threat, um, a fearfulness, a loneliness, um, cravings for things, experiences that you weren't able to have. And then often my brain is quite lazily reach for what is also just going on that week in the flat or whatever and just like smash the two things together. I will find myself incorporating my everyday life into my dream which I find quite dull as well because my everyday life is dull enough so it's quite dull to have dreams that involve your everyday life. You know the actual the stuff that's happening in real life is dull but the processing of actually all the fears that accompany it and the anxiety is intense and the dreams are way better than the lived experience. The sensory deprivation that is such a big part of our experience at the moment is your, your subconscious almost chooses actively to defy it and says, that thing you can't have, have it now. 
those are really, really gorgeous moments, I think. Do you ever dream like when you meet one of your idols? Let's say, like, I don't know, Elvis Presley. And you become their friend. And then you're being normal with them. In the dream, there is a doctor's station where you could do a sort of walking checkup. And I walked in, just go, look, I'm really anxious, I'm concerned about everything. And there was a man all bandaged up and he was being attended to by other people. And I remember thinking, that's David Bowie in there. And then the, so the man mumbles something. Now, I don't say anything, but the man mumbles something and the doctor goes over there and then comes back and said, Mr Bowie would like to say hello, Mr Thomas. You might, I might meet Bob Dylan and, and we end up just chatting normally about coffee or something. <laughs> I mean, I met David Bowie. That's not bad, is it? And he recognised me. situation and it's almost like the the situation has changed the characters the people everyone else except you seems to know that everything else has changed that's probably like quite reflective of the like sensibility that we all have right now where the world is just changing incredibly rapidly the, the pace of it pace of the news cycle has changed so dramatically. I wonder if that's similar, that seeped into your like subconscious. All of a sudden you're like, what am I doing now? I have no idea. I'll just go along with it. <laughs> so then I'm off to Newcastle. There's been trains, a lot of trains in the dream. Travel. Because I can't. I get to Newcastle, I'm waiting, 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 waiting at the platform, just chatting. And I'm talking to some old mates of mine who I used to go to college with, and they're going, aren't you going to be late? So that's when I go to the theatre. It's an old musical theatre, and it's shut for redecorating. This version of the Newcastle theatres isn't there. It doesn't exist in reality. And uh, my friend... Um, Kevin Day is there, who's one of the first performers that I worked with, and Shazia Mirza is there, who's one of my favourite performers. And we're just sort of sitting there in this gallery, just going, when are the audience going to turn up? They're never going to come back. I'm sat in the auditorium with a gin and tonic and settling in and having a look through the programme and everybody's kind of looking forward to an evening at the theatre and then someone comes and taps me on the shoulder and says, what are you doing out here? You're in the show. Oh, and I don't question that. I assume this must be correct. I get taken backstage and I'm trying to ask as many questions as I possibly can about this show and what's going on and who I play in it without seeming like I don't absolutely know what I'm doing. And they'll say, well, it's, you know, you obviously are playing the lead. Uh, we've all been rehearsing for nine years 
and we assumed you were also doing that on your on your own time. You are ready, aren't you? And I don't know the lines, I don't know the play, I don't know what's going on. I know I need to go on. There's the pressure of delivering the performance, and you say, you know, um, and uh, what's you know what, what is the the play? What it's Hamlet? You know, and I'll just try and improvise it. Uh, I'm thinking to myself, and are there ways to secrete bits of the text uh, on the stage, hidden in props written on myself? Uh, could we postpone for another night? And they're like, well, it's, the whole run's sold out and everyone's paid a thousand pounds a ticket. And you always go on. You go on, like you walk on and you try and play Hamlet off the cuff. You never go, this is absurd. <laughs> and that's very much a recurring dream in loads of different guises with, with the details changed. But I had a dream not unlike that last night. Another one of these theatre dreams. I believed I was directing a production of Romeo and Juliet. But all the costumes and the set dressing and everything was for a production of Miss Saigon. So, inevitably, nothing made any sense. Like in a play where you've got bits of stages and sets from previous productions. The places of my past provide easy backdrops for my dreams. So recently I dreamt I was at the leadership contest for the Irish political party Fianna Fáil. An old Irish political party. And it was all taking place in the ballroom of the Longford Arms. I've never been to a Fianna Fáil party conference but they're unlikely to have their leadership contest in the ballroom of the local hotel in Longford. Somehow I'd been parachuted into this contest and I, I was covering it as a journalist. And by parachuted, I mean I, I arrived on a parachute and I actually hit the compare when I landed. The man who was kind of announcing who the winner of the Fianna Fáil leadership was going to be, I managed to land on top of him. And I found myself going, what am I doing here? You know, I had a microphone, I was supposed to interview people. But I also I had a personal interest because a friend who I'd not seen for many years, father was running for the leader. And it was quite surreal. It was one of the more surreal dreams. It had elements of lots of my own, uh, my work life, my personal life, the experience I had as a child. But all kind of brought into this strange setting that was a kind of this ballroom where I'd been many times uh, when I was younger. And I woke from that, missing many things actually. Missing my own, wondering about my friend, but also actually missing that part of my own daily life which used to involve doing things like taking a microphone and going to, to rooms that were filled with people. I wonder if collectively we're all experiencing, we're all having to go through the processing of what is actually quite a traumatic time. It's a traumatic time in the fear that we have of people close to us, the fear we have of strangers, the fear that we have of people known, the fear that we have of work, of jobs, of, you know, of collapsing and imminent doom, but also because of the simple thing that actually we're not connecting with other human beings in a way that is normal. 
And that normal way of connecting with human beings is a profound thing. It's a profound thing to touch another human being. My most exciting dreams during the lockdown were about physical contact. <laughs> Unfettered physical contact for as long as you wanted it with another human being. And that's a profound thing to want to be in physical contact. So what I think we're generating is this enormous library of dreams where we're trying to process what we're doing but also to reach out and experience things that we're not having on our day-to-day -day life. Thank you for listening to The Dream Frequencies, Episode 2. Contributors to this episode were, in order of appearance, Mara Menzies, Tawona Satoli, Mark Thomas, Kirsten Ennis, Peter Gagan, Isabel MacArthur, Cathy Ford and Uma Nadaraja. The Dream Frequencies is part of the creative community Irish Theatre in Scotland series, a Traverse Theatre partnership with the Consulate General of Ireland, Edinburgh. The Traverse is a registered Scottish charity, number SC002368, and is funded by Creative Scotland and the City of Edinburgh Council, with additional support from the Scottish Government Performing Arts Venues Relief Fund.